Hello everyone, welcome to a special episode of Uncanny Treks, because Star Trek Strange New Worlds had an episode entitled Ad Astra Per Aspera. I am making Matt watch every sci-fi movie with that also as the title, so we already talked about James Gray's 2019 Apocalypse Now remake Ad Astra. Now we're talking about the 1981 Soviet Union film Per Aspera Ad Astra. If you need a reminder, that uh, means through hardship to the stars, or more poetically, through the thorns to the stars. I I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. Matt, how cranky are you that I made you watch a random Soviet sci-fi film? I'm not cranky. I just don't know how the hell you even knew about this thing. <laughs> I look at lists of Soviet films. It's impressive, Bob. I, I just I have no idea how you find some of these things. Not saying well, I'm I, frustrated. I mean, it was it, it kept me engaged. Oh, good. Was... But I teach a science fiction class, and part of the thinking is I want it to be international. Um, and if I'm being honest. Some of the thinking is I want to troll my students. You know, they think science fiction is one thing, so I try to throw them as artistically and culturally challenging material as I can and be like, it's still science fiction, guys. It's, it's an interesting watch. So Matt, have you ever seen a Soviet Union film before? Surprisingly, no. And I have seen Back to the Future in Russian. That's about it. <laughs> okay, so that's Back to the Future with a Russian soundtrack. Dubbed in okay. Russian, yeah. I mean, they do cut apart pieces of it, and it's ordered a little differently. I need to watch more. I, I've... I think I've just seen five Soviet science fiction films counting this one. The The best two are Solaris and Stalker, which I should make you watch sometimes. They're slower and longer than this, but very beautiful and a little more coherent and challenging than this as a film. So, Matt, uh, what if I were to uh, push you off the dock and uh, ask you to give the listeners a general plot description of what goes on in the film per Aspera Ad Astra? Oh my god, Bob, this was not the easiest film for me to follow for like a number of reasons. You know, for one, you, you've got subtitles. It means I can't look at my phone while I'm watching the show or watching a movie. <laughs> Obviously, now I have to be looking at the screen the whole time to follow along. If you don't like movies with subtitles, folks, this is the one to avoid. But and it then, is free on YouTube, people. It is you free You can find YouTube. it on YouTube. Yes, it's there. It's on YouTube. So check that. That, that also is a good sign, usually. So let me go ahead and give you the, uh, the, the rundown of what I understood is happening in this film. The starship Pushkin finds Nia, a clone, on a derelict space station. They I take it's a spaceship, but... They take her to Earth. She discovers she has telekinetic powers. It can be controlled through something in her... Uh, when Professor Ivanova yes. takes control of her, it triggers Nia's memories of the planet Dessa and her former control. Nia stows away on the Astra, where Ivanova and Stepan, Nia's brother-slash-lover, are stationed. Upon returning to her ship, the Gaia, Nia learns that she was part of a clone army being built by Professor Glenn to overthrow the Dessa's current regime. After landing on Dessa, they realize it is being polluted by Turinchok, who operates a gas-making company. The crew of the Astra devises a way to clean the planet, but Turinchok attempts to foil their plans by taking control of Nia and having her plant a bomb on the Astra. This is thwarted but costs the life of Ivana. A blob monster is released from the Glans lab, but is defeated by Nia and the crew of the Astra. You did a hell of a job, Matt. Honestly, your summary is probably better and captures m not everything, but more things than the Wikipedia summary does. <laughs> well, good, because I got it almost straight from the Wikipedia. <laughs> but yet you improved it, my man. Uh, it was not an easy film for me to follow. Uh, you can watch it and you'll understand what's going on, but if you have to go back and summarize it for someone, it's way more difficult. So the the plot strikes you as pretty episodic. Oh, two parts when they showed it on the Sci-Fi channel, because there's two very distinct well, parts. To I think you're running two different things together. In the Soviet Union, I think they released it in two different parts. But I think on the Mystery Science Theater screening of it, they shortened it and renamed it. Yeah, they, they reduced it. it. 
Humanoid woman yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, the humanoid woman. That's it. The original Soviet Union version is longer. The one I, I showed you, the one I had you watch is two hours. I haven't watched the original. And this cut was done by the director's son and is done to spruce up the special effects a little and also to cut out. Uh, allegedly, there's a lot of Soviet ideological context in the film. Uh, but the original version is like two and a half hours. So I do wonder if that two and a half hour film would feel a little more coherent. I, I need to watch that version myself, but I, I, I'm not sure that it would. I think maybe that they were going for something pretty episodic, which as you noted with the cutting it into two, it, it would happen regardless. Right? Once she gets on the asteroid, that's when it gets a little confusing because then why are these other characters here now? And what's the whole shift the plot from trying to figure out about what's going on with Nia and why she's a clone to cleaning up her planet and all the nastiness that's going on. Well, and it's interesting. I thought you might get into, I thought you might dislike the film at first and might get into it more when they get to the Astra, but it sounds like you followed the Nia at home stuff easier than you followed the Astra stuff, which is the inverse of my relationship. You said it picked up more in the second part, but I was like, oh, I was enjoying the first part. I got, well, I got lost. I, in one big coincidence is Ivanova is also, who's the, this robotic scientist who has looked at Nia already. Mm. The big coincidence is that she shows up as a part of the Astra crew. I don't think the rest of it is so much of a coincidence because it's like the Astra is going to Nia's planet. So that's why she stows away on it. On the other hand, her uh, foster brother, Stepan, he gets reassigned to the Astra at the last minute. There is a little bit of a hand wave or a little bit of a convenience. That does make sense. There probably were scenes that explained how Ivanova got on the ship. Like, I don't need an explanation for everything. It's interesting that Ivanova kind of takes over because in the first 20 minutes, the professor, Sergei Lebedev, who's Stepan's father, it seems like he's going to kind of be like the dominant guy investigating Nia, but he just drops out of the movie at a certain point and Professor Ivanova takes over that role. That's exactly what happens. I don't understand why, but it, it makes it a little more difficult to follow. What you think about in the opening, we have the ghost ship that we later find out is uh, the Gaia. And we have this clone lab on the deserted ghost ship where Nia was being grown with her sisters. It was at this point that I realized they were going to shoot some of the space scenes underwater. The clones were very gross looking, but they also look really cheap. I mean, this came out in 1981. Yeah. They were going to shoot space scenes where they're floating. You can tell they're underwater. Yeah. I don't know how they yeah. edited the what to make it look not look that way, but it, it just it looks like they are underwater. You just don't see the bubbles. I'm saying a lot of things that are semi-critical of this film, but just to be clear, like I like this film a lot. This is the third time I've seen it. I've taught it. I will probably teach it again in the future. Do you think making Nea with a humanoid alien and a clone and a clone who can be programmed like an android or a robot, does that maybe feel like overkill? Like there's too many SF tropes being thrown on her? It's complete overkill. I, I just tried to stick to her being a clone with a mind control device in her brain. That's how I saw it. In the second half, this becomes Soviet Union Star Trek. But in the first half, it's not clear, even though we are in the year 2222, but it's not super clear how much exposure humans even have to aliens in the first half of the movie, right? Right. You don't have a clue other than that octopus creature. Well, and that, but he only shows up in the second half. Right. Yeah. So in the second half, the implication seems to be that humans do have a fair amount of contact with, with aliens, whether it's 
it's Professor, uh, was it Prule, the octopus, or yeah. they've already have some diplomatic relationships with the Desens, who are the people who created Nia. But yeah, that's not clear in the first half. In a lot of the first half of the movie is spent with Nia um, in the home of Sergei Lebedev. Uh, when he decides to bring her into his home, Matt, did you dread the direction that the movie was going? I thought we may get some hijinks or this character may do some weird shit. Um, I really didn't know what to expect from a Soviet movie, and I didn't understand how the relationship between Nia and Stepan would take what was going to happen there. I couldn't figure out if it was a love thing or a brother thing. And, you know, he kind of went both ways at times. Yeah, although he in the first hour he explicitly flirts with her, but he also explicitly says that nothing can happen here because it would be too incestuous because they're foster brother, foster sister sort of thing. Yeah, but I didn't know if he was just being like funny with that. Yeah. He's putting her down gently, but at the same time, yeah. maybe he does have some feelings. He's just not going to share them in front of his parents. Saying the first half of the movie, the first episode of the movie is much more centered on the mystery of Nia. Whereas the latter part broadens out to be this fable about pollution on Dessa. Um, in that first half where we were focused on Nia and sexy robot with mysterious powers, did that feel like an influence on Blade Runner or Ghost in the Shell to you? I mean, maybe like some of the character design, yeah. I mean, they could tell this was an 80s yeah. space design thing, but really it was almost a... It was made in the 80s with 80s makeup and 80s some of the designs, but then at the same time, it looks a lot more like the setting itself is more 60s. You're right, that there is a kind of 60s Jetsons vibe to the Lebedoff house in the first half. Right, yeah, the aesthetic looks that way. But, and they're obviously using stuff from the late 70s, 80s for the costume design and the way things look, but I could see Nia like Blade Runner, if that was a thing, you know, yeah, I mean? yeah. being a character on Blade Runner. I'm not as familiar with Ghost in the Shell, so I don't know. Oh, we should we should watch that uh, that uh, that's an anime movie. We should watch that at some point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've heard, it's good. I mean, I've heard of it. And I've seen some stills from it, but I don't, I don't really know much of it. Do an anime podcast, but <laughs> I don't I don't mind doing like a movie here or there. <laughs> We're asking, uh, I think later on, right? If this was connected to something else we'd covered before on Uncanny Tracks. Oh yeah, Copenhagen Cowboy. I just felt this when I first saw the character of Nia. I'm like, hey, she's got the short hair. She's got these powers. She's there's not much emotion to her character. Yeah, the so flat thinking, affect. She right. suddenly finds herself in people's homes. <laughs> but she, she's not, Which, she, she magically doesn't die from any of these things that she's exposed to, or you know, yeah. all the other clones die, she's magically in a spacesuit. It would be interesting. I didn't think about that at all, but it would be interesting if Nicholas Windegret had Nia somewhat in mind when he was creating Moo for Copenhagen Cowboy. That would be yeah. cool. So I did want to ask, speaking of uh, Nia's powers and speaking of the kind of Jetsons aesthetic of the Lebedoff household, uh, who has the sicker anti-watermelon action, Matt? Nia's telekinesis or the robot Glacier's vacuum? I'm saying that watermelon bob could have fed a family of 10 for a month in the 1981 Soviet Union. Oh, don't don't believe the Reaganite propaganda. <laughs> there were consumer shortages, but they it were, wasn't that bad. <laughs> they were really excited about that watermelon that he pulled out of his book bag. <laughs> As Stepan said, Matt, it was the first of the season. If I came home and whipped out a watermelon out of my book bag, people would think I'm crazy. I, I mean, I don't know. They were. It was both crazy how she would use her telekinesis to drop the watermelon well, like that. If we can delve into stereotypes, Matt, it might have been a vodka watermelon. <laughs> it's full of vodka. That's awful. Matt, have you ever read any Isaac Asimov? I've read some of it, some yes, not a lot. I do know 
the first law of robotics. A robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human to come into harm. Basically what Nadezhda Ivanova programs into Nia is that, that Asimov's first law, basically. Reminds me of Robo very much Robocop <laughs> nice. that, rules. That was not that was not a connection I expected to make. Yes, Robocop and Nia are both bald and both robots. Yeah, and they're both sort programmed of. that way. They can't kill yeah, humans yeah. <laughs> or they can't allow harm to come to humans. Would you hook up with Robocop? I ask because Stepan Lebedev is very progressive on human-robot relations. He makes the point we're all robots of some kind. It's the damn truth, Bob. We are robots. You're dodging the original question, Matt. Yeah, I'd hook up with Robocop. I mean, if, if Robocop was Aww. female, do they have gender? <laughs> are there, how, does, how does gender work with uh, robots? It can it can be whatever it needs to be, Matt, I think is the answer. Head a little. What did you think of the spaceport scene, which I would just say you know, there weren't a whole lot of comparable points between this and the strange new worlds episode ad astra per aspera or between the the james gray 2019 film ad astra spaceports figured very heavily into ad astra and per aspera ad astra maybe could be a similar jumping up. it really bothers me that this is what everyone's expecting public space travel to look like in the future i just think that's a bad thing although it is kind of interesting there's a lot of similar vibes but the spaceport in per aspera ad astra because presumably we're looking at like the future of a communist earth in the 23rd century no commercialism it, it has like an airport vibe boarding this flight to these, these places whereas like the cheesy tourism was all over at Astra 2019 I feel like we're not moving away from like what we've already established though like it's the same sort of yeah. setup there's no difference <laughs> we have the spaceport scene we have the broad trope of a journey out and a stowaway are those pretty much the only connections to Ad Astra Matt or did you think the movie the 2019 movie or did you think of anything else I mean, there really aren't that many connections between the film, but I'm going to assume that this was like a Soviet version of almost like Star Wars to some people. I would say I more Star Trek. Star Trek. I see what you're saying. I, those films, I don't think they, they didn't get them in the Soviet, like most of the mm, releases. They get some, although I think they're, it's controlled. So I don't know, I don't know if they would get, I don't know if they would have gotten the, the Star Trek movies or not. But we know That's this it. was, re we know this was released though. So this is what, this is like what they got as far as like science fiction at the time. Well, and goes. there's a very... There's like a very healthy subculture of science fiction in the Soviet Union. And the Soviet Union did think that science fiction, I mean, it varied at, at different points in the history of the government. But in general, they thought it was a way to communicate Soviet values, science and labor, and progressive internationalism. It could be a form of propaganda. As Du Bois tells us, Matt, uh, all art is uh, propaganda and forever must be. I, I did enjoy the uh, flying saucers, though. I, I, I get the sense you didn't, but I thought they were yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> Bob, I, none of the actual effects here look like nothing. Everything looked cheap. Put on a B-movie budget. I'm sorry. They I were. Don't, I, don't, I don't evaluate it on, uh, on, how, uh, on how expensive it looks. I evaluate it on, oh, do I find it interesting? I found these interesting, whereas I find the big-budget CGI on, uh, on most contemporary American movies mostly not interesting. My favorite scene is at the very end, it's towards the end when they drop the octopus in the ocean. Like you can obviously tell it's a crane with like a pallet on it <laughs> to like represent their ship. And they put some like rails around it to make it look like it's the, I don't know what the hell it's supposed to be. I guess the exit, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, Pruel, the, the octopus, he, he's the source of my favorite line in the movie. Where, this is not cargo, but a Pruel is the stupidest character, Bob. Obviously, oh, it was somebody's pet octopus or they had access to an octopus at a zoo and they're like, hey, let's put that octopus in the film. I don't I don't even think you it was a real octopus i think it was just a stuffed animal more or less oh my god see bob like i couldn't take the octopus creature seriously. i took him more seriously than i take you matt <laughs> what do you make of that 
I'm, I'm fine with that. It's, so, Matt, were you surprised? Soviet octopus. <laughs> yeah, I love my Soviet octopus, Matt. I love him. Were you and Stepan both surprised that uh, his assignment turned out to not be a scout ship, but on a septic ship, uh, who one of the crewmen describes as the angels of space? Yeah, it reminded me of Space Quest at this point versus Robert Wilco. I didn't think of that, but I think you're you're dead accurate to make the connection. <laughs> but look for the listeners. Roger Wilco oh. was a janitor on a space station, spaceship. It was a it was a point and click adventure game created by Sierra <laughs> in the eighties and nineties. They did five of them, right? Six, six. Ooh, yeah. nice. So, Matt, do you prefer the uh, household robot Glacia or the starship robot uh, Baron? The household robot robot reminded me of the one from Rocky Four, and there's this trope <laughs> that robots had to be in '80s movies. It was like yeah, a big yeah. thing. Uh, Barmalay though looks like something from Battlestar Galactica, the original one, to be clear, the original Silence, yes. not the reboot, <laughs> not the reboot. Yeah. So, Matt, in the contest between Pruel the octopus and Vasily the cat, were you rooting for Vasily? Or- Vasily was another thing. Like, I think that was just somebody's pet, and they wanted to end the movie. He has a very important role on the spaceship, and he's one of the crew. You respect Vasily. <laughs> and I've already told you, I was not impressed with Pruel. It's just an octopus. So you were rooting for Vasily, I guess, even though you're insulting him. So what what pets pets are available to put in this film <laughs> in the Soviet Union? Cruel is not cats, a pet. He's a passenger. He's a he's a dignified scientist yeah. who you should respect. <laughs> uh, to skip way way ahead, Matt, uh, one of the Decians goes out uh, by getting stabbed in the back while tickling someone. Do you predict that being your end? That could happen, Bob. It was rather random that the tickling just didn't. Maybe that shit worked in the eighties. I don't know. It was awful for this. What was your favorite visual for this movie? My favorite visual, Bob, is... I'm just going to give it to whatever is on Nia's head the entire film. I don't know what that is. I, I don't know. Is it her hair? It. Is it supposed to be a wig or a part of her... That's one visual. But then the other thing I want to... The other really great visual is when they finally make it rain on the planet. Uh, on her mm-hmm. And there's the scientist that runs out and takes his helmet off and just starts dancing around talking about how much he loves his... I was like, that's some socialist shit, right? That's that's some great socialist shit. It's kind of cheesy, but when Nia is uh, stowing away on the Astra and you have lights flashing on her and her stumbling around as the uh, hyperdrive, I thought that was pretty cool. It was, it was, yeah. That was, that was a decent visual. Now, Bob, you always do sound choice. And yeah. that, that's your next thing. Like, And I always struggle with this part because I can never really pick out a, what, what music or sounds I like the most. I'll, I'll just tell you there's one sound, though, that I did not like. And I think that was when Ivanova takes control of Nia or gives her a just command. Just the programming noises that, over Yes, that, that noise is awful. I'm just going to say yeah. it. It's not my favorite. It's just one I hate. I to mute the TV. Nirvana, the band. There's a scene uh, where Nia teleports over to the clone lab ship. And uh, they're doing like an electric guitar riff. And it's not exactly the riff, but it kind of sounds like the riff from Come As You Are. And then there's like this intermittent electric buzzing. And I just thought that was a pretty cool effect of like disorientation and confusion. Who is your favorite character from this film? I don't even know the characters. But it's the guy trying his best to take control of Nia. He and the other guy get in a fight over the microphone. It's almost a side story. He's the guy who dies tickling the guy? The guy that's getting tickled. Oh, the guy. Oh, the the villain. Yeah, that guy. What's his name? Is it? it, it it's Turkinchok, right? Well, that's Turkin. Okay, I didn't know if that was the name Tur- of his company. If that was him or his company. All right, I'm gonna give it a Turkinchok. That that's the guy's name. Oh, okay. okay. I thought he looked like he was from Twin Peaks. 
<laughs> I didn't think about that, but you're right. There was some real like um, hotel and Twin Peaks energy to the to the politics on that. <laughs> that, man, that man was creepy. Yeah, he just he, he reminded me. Yes, yeah, so I will say turret shot. Yeah, it did it did feel like Ben and Jerry Horn uh, running amok with pollution on an alien world. That's that's yeah. a really funny connection. <laughs> and they want to produce gas masks for a world that they're creating the toxins. So it's like yeah, cap capitalism is, capitalism is bad, right, Matt? Capitalism yeah. is bad. Think, think of it that way. Bob, <laughs> um, who is your favorite? Pruel, of course. Who else would it be? Uh, I guess the other person it would be would be Vasily, but I'm definitely giving it to Pruel. So if you guys ever want to impress Bob in a film, just put a bunch of damn animals that you can get your hands on, and he'll just love them to death. <laughs> so, Matt, do you have any regrets that I made you watch this movie under a very thin pretext? It was bizarre, Bob, convoluted, but I just could not stop watching it because it's sad cheap but i wanted to know what would happen which i guess is a sign it's a good b movie fair i did, I, I did get copenhagen cowboy vibes from the main character design and some the, twin peaks and jetsons vibes yeah we the set pieces look like they're from the 60s and the narrative itself like i'm sure there's a lot of symbolism to the social state of course within the narrative but i'm glad you did mention that this is a cut so a lot of that was probably taken out but yeah. I, I could still catch on to a lot of it although it's pretty clear still messages about like the relative tolerance of at least some elements in this future communist state like their tolerance to nia and the progressive internationalism or interstellarism of helping out dessa and helping them overcome the uh, the tyrannical twin peak style capitalist who are polluting the world to make a profit right yeah, and if everybody works hard and is good at their job, we can solve this problem easily, quickly. Yeah, yeah, we could. We could if we bypass capitalism, but <laughs> it doesn't look like we're going to bypass capitalism, yeah. so we're screwed. All right. I, I would say my only regret is that this is the first foreign film we've done, unless you count the Jetty, that short film. Yeah, I'm going to count uh, maybe, the Jetty. That's, that's foreign. Uh, maybe we'll uh, try to do some of our foreign films uh, in the future. Uh, maybe do Ghost in the Shell. Maybe do Solaris. Thanks for bearing with me on this, Matt. I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad uh, you had at least an interesting experience with it. I guess this all depends on what they decide to title their episodes of Star Trek. <laughs> it does. It does. The next episode. So Bob, the next episode, Bob, is called Showgirls. Hell yeah. I would, I've would. i actually never seen Showgirls. I would do a podcast <laughs> episode with you on Showgirls. I'm I not love, watching Showgirls, though. I love Paul Verhoeven, man. He's great. Starship Troopers is great. We should do an episode on that. We should do an episode on Robocop. Well, on top I'll, of that, love... uh, you know, the dude who plays uh, I Agent love Paul Cooper. Verhoeven. Yeah, yeah. Agent Cooper's Cal McLaughlin. Yeah, he's in yeah. Showgirls. Maybe, maybe I'll do a solo episode on Showgirls. <laughs> you, you have fun with your solo episode of Showgirls now. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been Uncanny Tracks. I am Bob in Cascadia. That is Matt in the Southland. We were covering Per Aspera at Astra in order to tie into our coverage of Star Trek Strange New World Season 2, which has an episode entitled At Astra. Right, catch us uh, there. Catch us on Patreon. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks for listening.